0: Hey, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all all the board games that we've been playing recently. And on this episode are... The Tabletop Bellhop, Dice and Dragons, Friday Night Games, Board and Game with Andrew B, Mr. Board Games, definitely a board game podcast. Matthew Legault, The Paul Dungeon, Board on the Air, and Cardboard Conjecture. Remember to check out the show notes for the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. We've got ourselves a great lineup this episode. So thank you so much for
1: listening and enjoy. Hello and
2: welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tusno, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. You can find me at TabletopBellhop.com and all over the internet and social media as TabletopBellhop, one word. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me to answer, be sure to send that to questions at TabletopBellhop.com or visit the webpage and click on Ask the Bellhop. Now, of course, the question I'm answering today is what you've been playing this past week. So this leak was an interesting one because a number of the games we played, we played both physically and digitally on different nights with different people. Due to this, my list today won't be in chronological order because it makes more sense to talk about each game only once. So first up, we've been playing more Base. with our first game being a free-player game with my co-host Sean, Deanna, and I over tabletop simulator now sean managed to find an amazing mod that is heavily scripted that does a ton of the work for you including doing things like placing cards onto your boards and deploying by flipping the cards that are there and tucking them and everything it's called space base bracket scripted with expansions bracket and you can find it on steam now we played this three-player game in preparation for a special event on sunday where all three of us, Dana, Sean, and I, got together with two of our awesome Patreon patrons to play Space Base again, using the same mod. We had a great time hanging out with our fans, and the game went really well. Uh, it was Sean's best game yet, playing a colony-based strategy, which almost worked. In the end, Courtney, one of our patrons, took the win. Now, that was my first time playing with five players, and I do have to say it feels quite different getting so much stuff between turns so that you can buy almost anything. It almost felt like a shame because we were wasting so much money every round. Overall, we are still loving Space Base, glad to be able to play it online and get to play it with people who are far away that we normally wouldn't get the game with. So that was awesome. Now, next up, we've been playing quite a bit of Tapestry from Stonemaier Games. Now, at this point, I've played three more games and I am really digging this game. Now, two of those games were just Deanna and I. And I've got to say that this game plays really well with only two people despite the fact that some of the mechanics are obviously designed for higher player counts, especially the stuff where you're looking to your neighbors. Now, my third play of Tapestry, though, was through Tabletopia. Now, specifically a three, three or five player demo version with five civilizations only. Now, this was with Deanna and I um, and Sean, and we have been digging this game so much. We really wanted to show the game off to Sean. We're like, hey, you got to check this out. Plus, We're going to be reviewing this game, and it's always good if Sean can actually get to play first. So we found this demo version online, found it was free, and gave it a shot. Now, I am sorry to say our experiences were pretty much the complete opposite of playing Space Base on Tabletop Simulator, with that awesome mod Sean found. We found ourselves spending far too much time fighting with the interface, which really impacted our ability to enjoy the game. And I was most disappointed by this due to the fact that this just wasn't a good way to show off a game we're enjoying. The whole point was to show Sean how awesome Tapestry is, meanwhile he's spending more time fighting with the interface than even getting to enjoy the game. Now thankfully Sean's a smart boy and he was able to see the appeal of the game even if he was hating how it played digitally. Now sticking with digital versions of games that are hindered by the interface, we also tried to show off Guildmaster from Good Games Publishing to Sean with similar experience to Tapestry. Now there is an official... Tabletop Simulator mod out there that Good Games says is fully scripted, but we found that scripting to be somewhat lacking. A big part of the game, too, is placing cards and tokens on a player board to plan your actions at the start of every round, and in Tabletop Simulator, the way things stack, don't stack, stick, merge, splay, etc. is was driving us a bit bananas. It was really difficult to organize your cards. Again, the interface did nothing to help the game, and Sean had already said he didn't think this was going to be his kind of game, but at least now he's seen it play, so when we do get to our review, he'll be able to comment intelligently. Now, as for the rest of us, we are really digging Guildmaster at 3 and 4 players. Besides playing online, we got in another in-person game with the extended family, and overall I found the game worked very well when players are potentially competing to hire heroes and meeting up and completing contracts, which requires three or four players. Guildmaster has become a favorite of my sister-in-law at this point, and we're really close to publishing our full review at this point. The only thing I want to do first is I want to go back and give it one more try to players. Now that Deanna and I are both experienced players and know how to play the game and play it fairly well, I hope, um, I'd like to see if that experience has changed, because we did not enjoy a two-player the first time. Next up is a game I never expected to say I was playing with my wife, and that's Riffraff. This is an older dexterity game from Zoc that is extremely clever. Uh, The board, I guess you can call it, in Riffraff is a wooden ship with three masts that you build out of wood. That's attached to a weight and gimbal. Each turn, players are placing various shaped and weighted items onto the ship, trying to play all their pieces. The thing is, this ship is wobbly and it rocks a lot. Like this is the most um, most difficult balancing dexterity game ever played. Now, one thing in this game does that other dexterity games don't is that if you catch a falling object off the ship, it's removed from the game. And trust me, things are going to fall off that ship. That adds a whole different level to your usual stacking dexterity game that I really enjoy. Now, why I'm surprised to be talking about this is that my wife, in general, hates dexterity games. And usually, I can't even get her to try them. Now, I will admit there may have been some local craft beer involved in that game night that may have helped open her up to giving it a try. But I will say she had a fantastic time, and so did I. I always love Riff I can't wait for things to open up so I can start bringing that to public play events. Now, the last game I want to talk about today is World's Fair 1893, Specifically, the new second edition from Renegade Game Studios, which is an Amazon exclusive. I just published my written review for this updated game yesterday, and in prep for that review, we played a three-player game with my oldest daughter. I'm pleased to say that my daughter really enjoyed it. We're learning that she likes games with competition in them, like the area-majority aspect of World's Fair. Now, as for this new edition of the game, it's just as good as the original, and I am a big fan of the original, so I love this just as much. Now, if you don't own World's Fair, this is worth picking up. This is a great gateway area majority game, a really cool theme with lots of interesting information on the cards. Now, if you do own World's Fair, well, I'm not going to spoil that here. You're just going to have to read my review on the blog, listen to our latest episode, or check out our YouTube channel. So that's it for this week. Those are the games that hit my table, both physical and digital. Find lots more gaming content at tabletopbellhop.com and be sure to check out the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which we record live Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop, with edited episodes showing up on your podcatcher early Tuesday mornings. Also, check out our new Sunday Brunch with the Bellhop live show that hits Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern This is a completely unscripted show where I just chat with my best friend about whatever topic is of interest to us at the time. For Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzno, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good night and game on.
3: What up, gamers? I'm Jason.
4: I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dyson Dragons or Dyson Dragon on Twitter.
3: Yes. We still can't get that S. One day, one day I'll find that person. I might have to go on an epic quest to hunt them down. Let's oh, go. Oh, <laughs>
4: look what you did. I, actually, what is this, uh, Jason, that we're doing right
3: now? We are playing a game that is currently on Kickstarter. It is Tailmore by the Delve Bros. Just want to say a big thanks to the Delve Bros for getting us a high-quality print-and-play version of the game. We did have a little bit of a snafu with the print shop, but that's on us, not on them. And yeah, we've been able to check out the first two missions of this game.
4: Well, it's it's definitely interesting. It uh, it uses... Uh, an well, not wouldn't you act, it well,
3: it's a web-based app. app that we have for now, and there's going to be a fully uh, integrated app for iOS and Android that will be coming with the full release of the game. So
4: basically, um, uh, you're reading through a story. You're going going through a story, uh, making choices using the app to uh, scan items, to scan um, to scan different elements of the story uh, as you're playing uh, as you're playing through the game with other players.
3: Yes. Now, this game reminds me a lot of the point-and-click adventure games of the past. Games like Myst. Uh, You can't die in the game. There is no health. If you fail a combat, you're going to have to restart the combat so everything is very much like a puzzle that you're trying to solve and you're playing the game for the experience uh, the delve Bros have done a lot of work on the game world itself there are tons and tons of notes that will be popping up as you play the game hopefully uh, in the final app they'll be collected so you can read them uh, when you're not in the process of playing the game otherwise your games will take quite a long time but I really do like the world building that they've done in entail more uh, so far
4: it would have been fun to have this at the beginning of the pandemic honestly
3: Uh, i was thinking about that and i know we we mentioned it because of the way the game works what's really cool at least with the web app and hopefully they do the same thing with the full app you can send other players a link to join your game meaning if you have two or three friends that also have Tailmore, you could easily just be sitting in front and playing the game while you're on FaceTime. You won't even need to do Zoom. You don't need like a, an extra camera to see the board because the game is just gonna tell you what everyone's doing and all you need to do is be interacting with the other players. So that's really cool. The potential for remote play in this game is far beyond some of the other games that we've uh, played that, that have been good for it, but not nearly as good as this one. But you do need multiple copies of the game, so that is a little pricey.
4: Yeah, well, and so for me, uh, playing this with you, it was a little bit, um, it was a little bit weird to be sitting beside you playing a game, but kind of not playing a game with you because most of it is. I mean, we we did have some talking. It's not like we were talking, but most of it is is uh, reading what shows up uh, on the app and then you know scanning and then continuing to read. So it's not really. Uh, I'm not really playing with you. I am, but I'm not.
3: Well, and uh, I thought that this would succeed a lot more than uh, Chronicles of Crime did for us. I mean, app-based games, for those that watch the channel, know some of our favorite games, we like, you know physical and app-integrated components. In the original Chronicles of Crime, it didn't hit for us as well because of the story, a few other things. Uh, We really enjoyed 1400 compared to that just because of the way the game really respected your time more. It was a lot of fun. But when it comes to to this game, I'm almost wondering why I'm not just playing an app. And I think that's the biggest detriment that that I feel while playing the game is that the entire experience could be in a really cool three-dimensional world where I'm pointing, clicking, and going through the game, you and I could still be playing together just on an iPad instead of each on our own phones.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it really tries to to, to get the best of both worlds. Um, I And I, you know, it's funny when you were telling me that this game was coming, uh, I thought, wow, a dungeon crawler that's app-based, you know, that's uh, you know fantasy. It sounds a lot like uh, you know, some of, Journeys our, of, Middle Earth, some of our favorite Descent. games. I was going to say Journeys of Middle Earth is the first one that I thought of. So, uh, you know, this doesn't quite play. The, well, it doesn't quite. It really doesn't play the same way. I really think they're trying to go for something completely different. Uh, I'm sure, you know, we said the same thing with Chronicles of Time. I'm sure there's Chronicles of Crime. I'm sorry. There are some people that absolutely love the technology portion of this that you know you're integrating. I'll give them this: the QR code scan really quickly. I also like the fact that you can just enter uh, the codes and not have to scan because I've got short little arms, so you know it makes it easy for me to just enter the information.
3: No, and I have to agree with you. Well, whereas sorry, Journeys in Middle Earth, it feels like the app is doing a lot of the management. And the physical components of the game still have a large, large aspect and are very present. I feel that far less in Tailmore. It definitely feels like the physical components could completely be gone. As I mentioned, and you could just play an app. And I think that's a little bit to the game's detriment. Uh, As Julie mentions, I do think that other players might love it. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't. But I still find the game intriguing. Uh, It's not a bad play experience. I almost think that this would be a much better solo game than playing it together. I
4: agree. I think this could be a lot of fun playing alone, uh, as you say, solo. I, I just miss, I think there's a little bit, not. there's a lack of interaction um, when we're playing together, I guess.
3: Well, and I, just to speak to that, because I don't think we were quite clear why. And one of the main things is that in Tailmore, the party marker is for all of the characters. You're moving around the board together. You're gonna get into fights together. It looks pretty cool, actually. As uh, Meeple Dungeon mentioned on last week's episode, it looks like a Final Fantasy combat with the characters jumping forward and attacking. And uh, yes, from someone that played old school Final Fantasy, it does capture that feel perfectly, which I thought was uh, a lot of fun. But that party marker, meaning that you're always together, takes away a lot of that separate decision making. Whereas in Journeys in Middle-earth, we're looking at the board, looking at the different things and we're making decisions on where to go and how we want to interact with it. That doesn't really happen in Tailmore because we're always together. So I think people are going to like the game. I think some people won't like the game. We will have our full Kickstarter preview slash review of this coming out one day after this uh, segment.
4: So again, we'd like to remind everybody to
3: keep playing games.
5: Hi I'm Matt and I'm John and we're Friday
4: night, night. games
5: <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at Friday games our score official Twitter at Friday night GMS and on our website at Friday night games John what game are we talking about today
6: Oh, we are talking about a game that was recommended to us by the lovely Girl Meets Nerd podcast, Dungeon Mayhem, and its expansion, Monster Madness.
5: Sweet. So Dungeon Mayhem is designed by Jordan Kumar, Roscoe Wetlofer, and art by Kyle Farron, published by Pegasus Spiel and Wizards of the Coast.
6: It is an action-packed Dungeons & Dragons card game called Dungeon Mayhem, and you win by being the last adventurer standing.
5: Play as one of many characters in a card-based take that gladiatorial combat to be the winner. (laughs) The game includes all sorts of iconic characters and spells like magic missiles and gelatinous ooze.
6: Uh, Turns are super simple. You draw a card, play a card, and that is it
5: if you have no cards when you draw then you draw two cards
6: all characters will have card abilities like draw attack shield take extra action but characters will have their own unique abilities like deal one damage to all other characters or like the gelatinous uh, blob or ooze that will absorb your shield card and deal damage equal to the shield
5: on that card, yes. Other important rules that you can only attack your direct neighbor left and right unless specified by the ability.
6: Uh, you have to bring everyone else's life points down to zero to win.
5: And if you get knocked out, they have a little small rule that uh, instead of playing a card, you just point at someone and they lose a life. They don't have to be anywhere.
6: <laughs> ah, that's a pow- powerful, powerful player.
5: Yeah, it's also a pretty boring thing to do, but we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, we're going to get into that in the what you like section. Okay, what did you yes. like, John?
6: Oh man, this game was straight out of the box, ready to play. Super simple, easy to learn, easy to teach.
5: Yeah, it was That's fast. I right. was fast. Yeah. Like we played maybe like four or five games. Each game was like ten minutes.
6: Yeah. Uh, and the art is cool. Um, you know, the initial uh, set has the same artist as root Kyle Farron. Um, and even the, uh, the monster mayhem box added uh, different characters from the, you know, Dungeons and Dragons lore with some pretty nice artwork. And I will say that I loved that that box came with like storage solution.
5: Yeah. I it. actually think the monster madness expansion was, I actually thought that was the main game. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I actually think that I, if you're gonna pick this game up, which I, I do recommend it for, uh, well, we'll get into that in a second. But if you do happen to pick it up after this, make sure you get that Monsters Madness box because it actually has more characters in it right. than the original game, so you can play it with a lot more people. Right. Um, yeah. So I did like it was. It, I did like how it was. Uh, it seemed a little bit fun. It was super casual. It wasn't like anything uh, complicated to play. You know. And we didn't play anything wrong, which we normally do. We didn't play anything wrong with this because it was so simple.
6: Yeah, I liked it too because you know we had we could be, we had a simple game to play. We had a friend that we haven't seen since COVID hit uh, come over, so it was nice to be able to like talk with them and like still play this
5: game at the same time. So yeah, we didn't miss much. Um, yeah, what didn't you like about it?
6: Uh, okay, uh, the first thing I didn't like was the Monster Madness box. Mm-hmm. has uh, all the characters that you can get for the game. Um, but uh, what I didn't realize is that there's another kind of small expansion pack with two characters. What? And I, the completionist in me like needs to get that other thing, mm. that other box. But I don't know how often I'm going to play this game where I'm actually going to need those two characters. But it's going to bother me that it's not completed.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Sorry. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of wish they just released it all together. Um, mm-hmm. I get that maybe they released the original f- set of four um, classes, and then it was kind of was a big hit between casual people, so then they released a bigger set. And then, I don't know, the other two must have been like bonus characters. But, yeah, I kind of wish they had like a deluxe box with everything. That would have been cool.
6: Right, yeah.
5: So then you don't oh, have to well. go around collecting everything kind of annoying although that does sound like a really wizards of the coast thing hey go
6: collect (laughs) exactly go
5: collect all (laughs) these things and uh maybe you'll be happy maybe you'll be angry i don't know your choice (laughs) figure it out (laughs) uh one thing i didn't care for i didn't care for the ghost mechanic um it was also mentioned by bill uh who played with us you you guys don't know who bill is but that doesn't matter Uh, (laughs) he he, (laughs) he actually was he actually said it was like and i agree with this when it was the ghost's turn to point at someone and, and take a damage away, usually the ghost wasn't paying attention. And and, that, yeah. and I was thinking of that. That's because the ghost doesn't have cards in their hand. So they're not, they're not really paying attention because they don't have anything to look at. So they just point like you and then they're just like talking for the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. So and his suggestion, and I totally agree, is that if a ghost gets out, just let them sit there and talk to people. Cause honestly, <laughs> like that's more annoying than pointing at some pointing at someone removing a life. Because then everyone has to remember who the ghosts are. Yeah, it just gets annoying.
6: Yeah, I, I I was really into the ghost mechanic at first, but then you're right. After as the game night went on, after you know our fourth or fifth game, and I I was the
5: ghost for every game. Well, um, me too. I didn't win a single. Yeah, I'm just didn't like win a single one. So
6: I was like, who's got the least life and. Is it my turn to do this? Or like I would play before you would play a card. Hey, it was weird.
5: Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we kept doing that. And I don't know. It, the ghost wasn't a good, I mean, it's not that it wasn't good. It just, it's not needed. If you, uh, I mean, you you could put it in. If you feel like your group could use it, then put it in. If you feel like your groups like ours were just like, eh, I don't want to be pointing at someone. Or rather, be like, yeah.
6: I it, it's there to to not have that downtime, right? Because if you get out early, then you're sitting there waiting for everybody. I understand why it's in there, but whatever. Yeah,
5: the game is still casual, though. So I think you could, even when you are sitting there, you could talk. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not a, not be a problem, you know. True.
6: Um, uh, it's a, it's also you know one of the guys in our group also said that uh, it can get boring after a while. Like, it's not something you're going to play all night. You know, we did just because you know we haven't seen. Our friend in over a year, but uh, this is like a really good um, filler game. So you know, something to start your night off with, or like end with a casual game, or something like in between while you're setting someone else is setting something else up or something. Um,
5: yeah. So if you're if you're gonna pick this game up, pick it up as a filler game, something light, something right. you're gonna play. Like, don't think this is gonna be the meat of your game night. This is not. This is gonna or or no. if you're a vegetarian, the uh, the shiitake mushroom cap it's not going to be that okay it's going to be like something you're <laughs> very gonna, specific <laughs> well my wife's vegan so <laughs> um but it's going to be it's not going to be the specific game you're going to play all night it's going to be something you're just gonna do casually or maybe it's like a beer game like you drink a couple beers play with your friends you know nothing don't take it seriously yeah
6: for sure do we take anything seriously
5: no no
6: <laughs> True. All right. If you like what you hear, uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, and always our website, fridaynight.games. Take care. Thanks.
7: Hi, this is Andrew Buckles of BoardingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing this week. This week I'm going to focus on Circle the Wagons. Circle the Wagons is a game designed by Stephen Aramini, Danny Devine, and Paul Klukla. It was first published by Bud and Shy Games in 2017, and the Butten Shy Games version features art from Beth Sobel. Buttonshy Games is quite a cool company that really focuses on designing micro-games, 18-card games usually, that fit in one of their little leather wallets. That makes their games extremely portable, and I always like taking Buttonshy Games with me on trips. Some of their games also pack a really good amount of replayability and variability in that 18-card package. And I think that Shy has done an excellent job of doing that with a number of these titles, and Circle the Wagons is certainly a good example of that. Circle the Wagons is a two-player game for the most part, although it does also come with a one-player variant-slash-expansion, which I'll talk about more later. In a two-player game, it's a really simple drafting game where you lay out 15 cards in a circle on the table, then take the remaining three cards of the deck and flip them over, put them in the middle of that circle. The second player then chooses where the first player is going to start in the outer ring of the circle. The first player will then either draft that card that they're starting on or they'll skip over that card and maybe other cards as well and take a later card. Any cards they skip go to the second player. The second player then starts the process with the next card and either takes it or skips over some to take another card with the skipped cards going to the first player. This continues until all 15 of those outer cards are drafted. So what happens when you get cards, either from drafting them yourself or from being given them by the other player? Well, you place them into the little town that you're building in front of you. The cards have to be placed vertically, you can't turn them on their side and you have to place them so they're orthogonally adjacent to other cards that you already have. You can also place them slightly over top of other cards you already have. Each card is divided into four different sections that feature different terrain types and different symbols on them, and what you're trying to do is both build up contiguous areas of the different terrain types because you're going to score for the most contiguous areas of each of the six terrain types at the end of the game, and you're also trying to align the symbols in a way given by the free goal cards in the middle. What adds to the replayability of this game is that every game, or in a lot of games anyway, you're going to see different goal cards. You're going to see, or at least a different combination of those central goal cards, because they're just free random cards selected from this pile of 18, and they have the normal terrain faces on the back. So that adds to a lot of differences from one play of this to the next. Maybe one game you're trying to make a really small and efficient town. Maybe another game you're trying to position your forts next to your guns. And another game you may be trying to position your gun symbols in line, in row or column, with bottles of beer. So you really have to consider how the unique goal conditions of this game are going to affect what you're trying to do. That's something that this design trio actually followed on later with further button-shy games, Sproopolis and Agropolis, and both of those are quite good and quite interesting as well, although they play a little bit differently because they're solo and or cooperative rather than head-to-head. Speaking of the solo mode, uh, that's quite a clever inclusion to this game. It's called the Lone Cowboy expansion, and what it does is it continues that same draft, head-to-head drafting approach, but with the AI making their decision on what they will pick based on specific conditions on the card. There are six different possible scenarios in the solo game, and each of them is just dictated by one card that has the AI behave a little bit differently in terms of what it's trying to do. The solo variant was designed by Mike Bowens, who's done a lot of solo variants, some for button Shy games and some for other properties, and is also a, ga- a game designer himself, doing titles such as Solo Game Pentaquark and then the not-solo or sometimes-solo game Bottom of the Knife. And I think Mullins did a really good job with adding a solo variant that feels very true to the wider two-player experience of Circle the Wagons. It's a good way to play this game. The two-player game is also just a great game. It's really easy to explain and it's really easy to play, but there are a lot of good strategic decisions in it. And the game plays very quickly. It's done in about 10 minutes or less most of the time, and it only takes a couple of minutes to explain, so this is quite an easy one to get into. That's Circle the Wagons from Button Shy Games. I'm Andrew Buckles You can find my board game writing at boardinggame.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Buckles. That's Andrew, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z. Thanks for listening. <laughs>
8: Hey, everybody, it's M.
9: What's going on, folks? It's R.
8: And together we are Mr. Board Games.
9: You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Lonely table
8: And on YouTube by following the link on our profile or searching Mr. Board Games on YouTube.
9: Today, do you know what today is?
8: What you've been playing Wednesday.
9: Today is what you've been playing Wednesday. And this week we had pulled out a game about ghosts and spirits and spooky, spooky, spooky. Psychics. Psychics specifically. Yeah, it's not Ghost Hunter. We were playing it. We were playing Mysterium and we played Mysterium with a couple of folks out in our area.
8: With some friends.
9: Yeah, we can call them friends too. That's good too. (laughs) We Uh, played
8: games with friends. Yay, friends.
9: Uh... (laughs) In case you're not familiar with Mysterium, Mysterium is a it's a pretty simple game, but it's it's kind of funny. It, actually, the runtime on it is 42 minutes. I've noticed exactly. Seen. It's a very specific, but that's because it has a little sand timer, and you flip it, and it's yeah. Uh, it is a game where one person's a ghost; they don't talk, and they have very abstracted cards, and they try to get convince people, uh, try to lead them to. Suspects. Suspects, yeah. It's basically, it's clue, but not really, because there's a there's a person, place, and thing.
8: Yeah. it Kind of like, same basis as clue, in that you're trying to figure out who done it, but um, you have a spirit who is trying to point you to the possible suspects of the murder as the psychics. Um, and then you, after each psychic as a person, place, and thing, Murder weapon mm-hmm. you pool your minds and from those ones pick who done it and it's quite fun, mostly because the ghost can't talk. the cards are super abstract. the artwork is fantastic, but you have to know what the ghost is trying to hint at mm-hmm. you to think, to pick the suspect or the place or the thing. And if you're like our male friend.
9: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, the game works fine for M and I, but then when you throw in some complete strangers, which, you know, we, I personally have only known for a very short period of time. And well, COVID kept him away from learning it of each other. Uh, yeah, he, he, he did not have any idea what I was thinking. And I had no idea what he was thinking. And it was hilarity.
8: Yeah, it's just like such a fun aspect because yeah, if you don't know the people really well, you're like looking at the card that they handed you and you're like, well, I see this. And the ghost is going, because they can't tell you. And they're thinking, oh my God, how dense can this person be?
9: As an example, you take three cards, well, just use three cards and the common element, well, for this argument's sake, will be red, the color red. However, one will be like boom red in your face and one will be like just subtle touches of red and then another one will be kind of like a picture of an elephant with rain and other things but there's red on the elephant's trunk or something. I don't know. And I'm trying to say red, pick the red color. The red color is the the person who's covered in red. That's the one, go there. And they're going, what does an elephant have to do with
8: this? And like what, like I see elephant, rain, and a fork, like, I don't know, maybe it's the chef, like maybe the chef cooks elephants and you're like, no, it's the hunter. Yes. <laughs> or, like-
9: <laughs> or to take it another level, you take three animals and then there's a game room. Well, when I say game room, I mean hunting lounge where there's like a, a head of a of an, a deer or a head of this and you're like, hunt hunter hunt and yeah it's but you're sitting there and i think i've gritted my teeth a bunch of times and then i think the best part of it all at the end of the day though is you're like finally you got it and then you're like well i can't understand that And then you make them be the ghost and like oh 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 that wasn't easy and you're like yep and then everybody wants to play the ghost after
8: yeah because I th- the ghost is fun and i mean we don't play necessarily with all of the aspects like we don't play with the clairvoyancy tokens where you like vote on other people's and we don't play where you can't ask your other psychics um what their opinions are like we kind of very much play as the psychics being cooperative in that you we all kind of see what the ghost is throwing out to everybody um but i think that's what makes it enjoyable i
9: don't think it lends itself well to competition i don't even want to find out i think it's just funny as you're Watching people pull their hair out and be like, what are you trying to say? And you're like, it's blatantly obvious, but clearly it's not.
8: <laughs> yeah. And I, it's one of the games that we bust out when we have people over to introduce to board games, because I think it's not a typical game and it's not a typical style of game that people have been introduced to before. And it's just fun. And again, I'm a sucker for things that are pretty. So
9: exactly 42 minutes.
8: And it, yes, and it plays in exactly <laughs> 42 minutes, which what's not to love when you know exactly when you can break for snacks.
9: And that's what we've been playing this week.
8: <laughs> um. Until next time, check us out on YouTube, um, or you can reach us at Twitter or Instagram at Mister Underscore Lonely Table and. Folks, keep it on the rails.
9: Whoa, I'm the folks person. You're the everybody, but that's for another matter. Keep the dice on the table. You're not taking that from me. Talk to you next week.
10: Hello, I am A.A. Romulich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast, a podcast definitely about board games, except when we choose for them not to be. And we are here on what you've been playing Wednesday. Royce,
11: what, what have you been playing Wednesday? All right. So, Gregoire Largie, Frank Critton, and Sebastian Pochon. Really, it's Sebastian Pochon. You've been playing so, all of them? <laughs> <laughs> Sebastian Pochon, he was the designer of Jaipur, probably one of my absolute favorite two-player games. When he brings out a new two-player game with these other gentlemen, I get excited. And this was no exception. This is Botanic or Botanic. We'll go with Botanic. It is a fantastic tile-laying game where you're building out a machine to grow plants. Uh, You're growing flowers and vegetables. You're doing it, though, in the most thinky, meanest, harshest way possible. (laughs) You're setting out these tiles, trying to make sure that the tiles that you want are freed for you, but the tiles that your opponent wants get locked into their space for as long as possible. Great game. Really enjoy this. Uh, Batonic by Sebastian Pochon, Frank Critton, and Gregoire Lergy. Sebastian Pochon, again, if he puts out a two-player game, I'm going to buy it.
10: Nice. And I think you mentioned the artwork was something to ignore on this.
11: <laughs> I wouldn't say to ignore, but it is different. Yeah. It is very, very different. And I, I wonder if the artwork is going to turn some people off. It is the people on it are fairly creepy looking uh, forearms, more like spider people than yeah. not. It's a, it's definitely different. But it, the game itself is excellent.
10: That's why I was saying maybe ignore the art. Don't be scared of it. There's a good game under there under that under that right. lid right. yeah absolutely all right well I'm going to do some name dropping here uh, we've had some outstanding guests on the show recently most recently Tony Boydell we've had Steve Tassie from Snakes and Lattes we've had Jamie Stegmaier we've had Frank West but our first guest that we had that was an actual game publisher producer creator was Thomasy E. Mangiuk he was our first ever, and he's yep. the, he's the first Inuit to, to design a board game, as far as we you know. And he designed a game in January twenty twenty called Nunami. And I finally got a copy of it, and it's fantastic. I love it for a couple of reasons. One, it's a great game, but also I love games that don't look like games. It's so artistic looking. You play with these black and white trays. It's so minimal. And the cards are, have beautiful art on them. And they're triangular and, and, and plastic. And it just has this very unique look. Um, again, uh, I've talked about this game on, on our other podcast. It's really hard for me to describe. I'm going to try and remember everything we said. So it's an area control abstract game <laughs> where you're trying to balance nature and animals... You want to have just enough influence to get points because you have too much influence, you're not gonna get any points, and if you have no influence, you're not gonna get any points. It plays a bit like Othello, if you had to compare it to an abstract game. Uh, very challenging. Very, very uh, strategic, complicated, and also replayable because you get to design the board at the beginning of every game and you get to place the cards uh, at the beginning of every every game. So it's always going to be different. Thomasy was a fantastic guest, really nice guy. Love his game. Can't recommend it enough. Grab yourself a copy of Nunami.
11: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the art because I, I, Thomas he mentioned during uh, the interview that while he designed the game, his daughter and his mother, who are traditional Inuit artists did all the art for the game in a traditional Inuit style. So it really is a family effort as well. Uh, If you want to hear the interview with uh, Tomasi, uh, you can go back and listen. I believe it was episode 22 when we talked to Tomasi. And he talked about designing a game, living in the Arctic, living as an Inuit. Uh, Just a really fascinating guy to talk to.
10: Yep. And if you want to listen to that, You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere podcasts live, really. We're pretty much with all the distributors out there. And uh, if you also want to reach out to us, you can always reach out to definitelyboard at gmail.com, at board definitely on Facebook, at board, sorry, at definitely board on Facebook, at definitely board on, am I getting this right? (laughs) At definitely board
11: on Facebook and at board definitely on Twitter.
10: Ah, there we go. And uh, also, if we have a guild uh, on BoardGameGeek, you can find us there as well. Otherwise, I think that's it. Anything else, Royce? Not a thing. Say goodbye, Royce. Goodbye, Royce. Bye, everybody.
12: Hey everyone, this is Matthew from Montreal-based board game publisher Scorpion Masque Our game Zombie Teens Evolution was unfortunately not selected for the Spiel des Jahres this year, but we were extremely honoured to see it selected as one of the three finalists. Now if you haven't got your hands on this family weight legacy style game, run, don't walk, to your friendly local game store and grab yourself a copy. You can thank me for the laughs and, yes, the tears, later. <laughs> Good things come to those who wait. Yeah, this old borderline trite adage is supposed to make people feel better when they're feeling frustrated, impatient, or stuck. Just keep sitting back, doing nothing, and something good will come along. Well, (laughs) easier said than done, right? Well, I don't know how many of you remember, but not too long ago, we went through a global pandemic. On top of all the very serious effects it had on people all over the planet, it made us wait. We had no choice but to sit back and do nothing. Sure, we kept ourselves busy, but the lack of spending time with people really hurt us. And it hurt our hobby. Because, well, board gaming is all based on spending time with people. Real people, in a real setting. Sure, we played online games, we played games with our families and with our kids, but we really missed those game nights. And as a result, games sat on our shelves, unplayed. Now, I'm not going to play Heaven and Ale with my 10- and 7-year-olds, or even Wingspan. But there's one game in particular that has been staring at me from my shelf since I bought it last autumn, waiting for me to play it. I'd played it once before, about four or five years ago, and fell in love with it. But because of stock shortages, and then the lofty price tag, I could never get around to picking it up. Until last autumn, when a second-hand copy, at a price that I couldn't refuse, fell into my lap. And that game is Tyrants of the Underdark. Tyrants of the Underdark is a very simple game to describe. It's a deck building, area control, hybrid. That's it. That's all you need to know. Now, the theme is Dungeons and Dragons, in particular, the underground dwelling dark elves, or the drow. And to be honest, this theme isn't really my favorite. I don't really know that much about that universe. But it works very well with the game's mechanisms. And I'll talk about it a little bit uh, a little bit about that later. The game plays from two to four players and, in a nutshell, each player starts with a deck of ten cards, and like in classic deck builders like Star Realms, you have cards that give attack values and purchasing powers. You deal yourself five cards, you play them, you purchase cards in the market, or you use your power cards to do various actions. And in the meantime, you have a board stretched out on the table in front of you, with paths linking the various cities and settlements of the Underdark. That's where the Drow live. Now, a number of those paths and settlements are populated with neutral white pieces at the beginning of the game, and your job is to mobilize your troops onto the board, remove those white pieces, and populate the Underdark with members of your clan. Area control. You can only place troops on or adjacent to where you already have pieces. But you can also place spies anywhere on the board that allow you to place troops in their spaces. Now this is where the theme of the game really sings, because the drow are known for their cunning, their backstabbing, and their underhanded ways. Between the placement of spies, assassination of enemy troops, and the action that allows you to supplant an enemy troop, basically turn it into one of your own, players are immersed into the drow's cold-blooded universe of ambition and greed. Meanwhile, the cards that you're purchasing are covered in wonderfully dark artwork and provide special abilities that can create absolutely killer combos. The cards are divided into five different aspects, kind of like the colors in Star Realms, that define the kinds of strategies that ghost cards can encourage, the use of spies, deck thinning, attack, movement, you know, that kind of thing. And once again, we come back to what I always seem to come back to. This game allows you to be sneaky to distract other players while quietly hatching a plan to expose their undefended areas. Getting into a war of attrition over a seemingly meaningless settlement, convincing them that the points at the game's end justify the squabble, and then plopping a spy down in their stronghold, assassinating one and supplanting another one of their troops, making them relinquish control of the space and its benefits. (laughs) Yes, yes, see how the wheels turn. You were so sure of yourself, so secure in your position, but, oh dear, your troops are in the wrong place, my friend. And now watch as my clan spreads behind your lines. (laughs) It's, uh, It's definitely got its satisfying moments. Now, the final thing that's useful is the concept of promotion. Now this is a version of deck thinning, but instead of trashing cards like you do in Dominion or Ascension, you promote them, which gains you more points at the end of the game. Each card in your hand is worth a certain number of points, but cards that have been removed from your hand and promoted gain you more. And if the card has powerful in-game effects, well, then it's worth a lot more. I love this game. It presses so many of my buttons. I love deck building and I love area control. Star Realms meets El Grande, two of my all-time favorites together at last, like so much peanut butter and chocolate, and the result is just as sweet. I mean, it's rare that it happens, but as I was playing, I just kept saying out loud, oh man, I love this game. Look, Look at... this game is so good. Look at this. And I remembered how amazing it is to play a great game with great friends again and stirring up all those old feelings of competition and camaraderie. And I realized that good things do come to those who wait. And then you can use those good things to turn around and stab your friends in the back and win. You know, it's just, it's just perfect. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This is Matthew Legault from Scorpion Masque. Please check out all the games in our catalog at scorpionmasque.com. Thanks to the gang at Cardboard Conjecture and what you Been Playing Wednesdays again for having me on, and I'll see you all next time.
13: Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week we're talking about one game. Uh, what are we talking about, Anna-Marie?
14: We are talking about Ashes Reborn, designed by Isaac Vega and published by Plaid Hat Games.
13: Yeah, and it's the Rise of the Phoenix Born as well attached to that oh, name. Yes. That's right. <laughs> but, um, I missed that part. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, Ashes Reborn. It's a... Uh, It's an LCG-type game, uh, card game, where you are taking uh, control of a Phoenixborn. And a Phoenixborn is a demigod-type character that was brought in to help this realm of men take on these monsters and chimeras and things that were running amok on their land. And these Phoenixborn helped uh, rid them of these monsters. And then there was kind of like a peace for a little while. But then these Phoenixborn characters all discovered that if they were to absorb the ashes of the other Phoenixborns, they would have a chance at becoming full gods instead of just demigods. Or that was the uh, that was the, uh, the, prophecy. the prophecy that they were, were told. So then they all started warring with each other and getting backed by different cities of men. And it became a big old cluster. So in this game, um, yeah, you were just fighting one-on-one kind of uh magic the gathering style but way 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 different than that so Marie, do you want to tell them kind of what's going on here
14: yeah sure so you have um you have a 30 card deck um the pre-built ones that uh that come in the box and that you get they have um three cards three of each card you yep. can't have more than three in each uh, in each deck um aside from conjurations you have conjurations right. which uh are kind of some will have one only, some will have five. They, yeah. There's no rule really
13: on the, on the conjuration. The conjurations sit in their own side. It's deck. a separate deck.
14: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so basically, you you just kind of set up your board. Your um, your dice are basically your energy and yeah, you get like 10 dice like your magic yes yeah. yeah and you roll the die there are three different faces on your die and and that becomes your energy pool for like your weakest to your strongest die um, your strongest die can be used as any of the three types yeah. and your second highest can be used as your second and your lowest yeah um, lowest can only be used as the lowest and um and then yeah you just you you the one the coolest I don't know if it's the coolest, but I think one of the pretty, the most coolest thing, I'm just butchering that, but of this uh, game is that you get to pick your starting hand. So you start yeah. with five cards, and you look through your deck, and you choose the five cards that you want to start mm-hmm. with, which, which is, which is never, crazy.
13: Never, never happened in any game I've ever played like this. No. Where you get to actually pick what you want to start the game with, whatever your strategy might be, you can use it to its full effect. With those five cards, however you want, and and hit the ground running, and then you have to have to. Um, then it's draw, you know, luck draw of the draw as you as you go. Yeah, but oh my at goodness, at least is you're it cool. not.
14: Yeah, at least you're not just devastated right off the bat. You know, right? if you pick up, I only get you know. You just, you get a weak hand and you're just like, ah, oh, and the other, the other mm-hmm. person's destroying you right away. At least this gives you a shot at building something up first, yeah. which is very cool.
13: And you also know that you're going to have 10 mana magic die to work with every turn. Every turn. Um, but they might be stronger or weaker depending on how well you roll. But you know you're going to have at least 10 die to work with in some fashion. And each card is going to have a cost associated with those die. And, you know, to play this one card down, I have to spend these three dice sort of thing. And you have main actions and side actions. So you're able to do...
14: You have to do a main action every You have to do a main action, time, exactly. And
13: then you have an option to do a side action, which are generally kind of weaker and more, uh, I don't know, just different. But, yeah, you can attack and you can, you can use spells. And it's very similar to Magic the Gathering in, in many ways. But, my goodness, is it different? <laughs> in other ways and um, I love it. We've been playing a whack of it lately. I've played with uh, a character called Cole Rorquin, who was really really cool he was kind of like a pirate sort of Geralt of Riviera or whatever his name is there from The Witcher. He kind of looks like him as a pirate um, and you were playing with...
14: I was playing against that guy against with, Cole. I was playing with Jessanani. Yeah she's cool. Like and a, she's like a Blood mage, almost. Yeah, like, she's uh, a voodoo, a voodoo. Yeah. blood
13: demon girl. And then I had this other one, Audet Crest, who's kind of like this holy knight, sort of like I don't know, like <laughs> super light, like it would be a white creature or white person from uh, magic. magic, as you as some people will recognize.
14: And then the other uh, one that I've been playing with is Aradell Summerguard, and she's a she's more like a water. Yeah, um, kind of a water type person who who uses. Um, she is. She was interesting. She was the most recent one I played um, because she had in her deck. She had no attackers. Her deck was is all spells, and then right. her uh, her conjurations have. Low attacks, but you can get quite a few a lot, out, yeah. and so it was interesting. It was definitely interesting. I have never won one um, of the many games that we've played where I was playing as Jessanani. I nope. have not won against her. I haven't figured out her deck yet.
13: But Aridel was, was really good. Really good, especially, especially at least especially. against. She had yeah. an answer for everything that Odette had in this deck, and I should mention I've been playing uh, a few games against Ryan from the Bridge City Board Gamers. And we are going to be doing a seven-game series of this on Twitch or YouTube or something. Uh, Ryan will have more details out there. But yeah, we're going to be doing a seven-game series to to determine some sort of champion, and we're going to end up uh, gifting a gift card to uh, the other <laughs> whoever uh, wins uh, for their city's uh, local board game store. I guess
14: um, I guess we should mention how you win. Um each phoenix born has its own Yeah, they its have the life, life value yeah. and it's just yeah once the once their life gets to 0 yeah. the other person similar, wins.
13: Similar similar to Magic except for each each phoenix born has their own life like some have 19, some have 15 and I think most are 15 to 20 something like that. Yeah. Where in Magic you start with 20. But yeah, this game is fantastic and we have the new version of it. There's an older version that came out in 2015 and we have the new version, the updated rules, the updated characters, the cards, the updated cards, the updated artwork. Oh, it's fantastic. It's very good. But um, yeah, we got to run. So we will see you next week. Cheers. See ya.
15: Hi, I'm Shay. And I'm David. And you're listening to What You Been Playing? No. Yes. You're listening to What You Been Playing, a weekly podcast featuring a bunch of Canadian board game content creators. Yes. And we are going to talk about what we've been playing.
16: Yeah. What have we been playing, Shay?
15: Uh, I haven't played a lot, but... You played Wingspan, yes. and I've played it before, so we thought we'd talk
4: about it.
16: Yeah, w- Wingspan is still one of the best-selling games out there. Continues to be one of the best-selling games since it's been released. In the year it was released, it won everything yep. for awards yep. other than the Spiel.
15: It didn't win the Kinder Spiel?
16: I don't think or it did. Or
15: the, the Spiel des Jars or whatever no, it was dominated I, for? It? I don't think it did. Oh, okay.
16: I think it was upset or something, but I know it won all the Dice Tower awards. It won a bunch of other people's awards. Yeah. Uh, it is a solid engine building game, uh, in it you have action cubes and you're going to put them on your board and do one of four actions. You're either going to put a bird card down, you're going to get food, you're going to lay eggs, or you're going to get more bird cards. the board is split up into three different areas there's a grasslands a wetlands and a forest yeah yeah uh, depending on how many birds there are in an area you're going to be able to do more when you do those actions because a lot of the card or bird cards have other abilities on them yeah some some just give you points uh, some give you an instant bonus and then some give you an action after you've played it, mm-hmm. and we played with the European Expansion, which also adds end of round uh, actions on those or powers, right. and also when somebody else does something powers.
15: Yeah, uh, this game's really cute. Uh, I it, think is a big thing. It is um, a beautiful game. I mean, that's Elizabeth Hargraves, I think like she's really good at creating those games that are just. Or designing those games that are just uh, adorable.
16: Yeah, this this one just hit with everybody. Uh, new gamers and seasoned gamers alike. Yeah. I, I know there are people that don't like it, but there's not a lot of them.
15: No, I'd say it's definitely that minority. And I don't shame anybody for disliking games. There's yeah. never going A game is never going to work for everyone. Yes. Um, but I do think that this is a spectacular game. I like the... I like the engine building to it. Like most of the time I feel like I'm able to do stuff. I think I've only played one game of Wingspan where I really felt like I was way behind everyone. I think it was because it was my first game and nobody else had like, or everybody else had played before. Yeah. Um, But I like the little eggs. We've upgraded to the um, Geek Up bits, right?
16: Yes, we have yes. geek up bits for food, um,
15: which is always fun.
16: Yeah, and I think uh, the new expansion. There's going to be another geek up bit coming or set coming. Right, because we with have Nectar. the uh,
15: mm, neoprene oceanic.
16: Mats. Yeah, oceanic is the, yeah. is the second expansion. We ha- we haven't played this one yet. Uh, it adds a new resource and just changes the boards up. Uh, initially, I bought the neoprene mats. <laughs> then. Shortly after I got them, they announced the Oceana expansion that changed the mats. Yeah. Uh, Stonemire Games was actually very good in that they sent out a note to everybody that bought the original neoprene mats and offered them half off the other neoprene mats. So I bought a bunch more. Yeah. And now I have... And they're nice because they come with the original mat on one side and the expansion mat on the other. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you can still play both. I know I've seen stuff or people online talking about, you know, what do you do with the extra five boards, right? Because yes. it, it takes up space. Uh, that box is not huge. Uh, but there is a big box coming this year. Or a big storage unit. Sort of like they did with the legendary box with Scythe and stuff.
15: Yeah, because they have teased that there's going to be more expansions for different birds of the world, right? So. Yeah, there's
16: lots of regions they can go to.
15: Yeah, so I'm interested to see where they go and hopefully in this big box it'll, it'll provide more space for uh, future expansions. Yeah,
16: I, I suspect so. It, you know, he uh, Stonemaier Games has done this with a lot of his games uh, where he keeps releasing stuff for them uh i don't know if there's like even viticulture has had new stuff come out for it in recent years mm-hmm. uh, scythe continues to have little things come out for it like new missions or the modular board yeah so he, he stands behind his games and he keeps updating them uh, wingspan's probably the last big game he's released uh we
15: don't talk about the next one
16: well, just successful, is <laughs> oh, what I mean. The, the like, less
15: successful one.
16: <laughs> he, he's released games since then, but yep. none of them have had the staying power of this one in Viticulture and Scythe. Scythe. Yeah. And as popular as Viticulture and Scythe are, Wingspan has outsold all of them.
15: Well, I think it's more, uh, not relatable, um... You can have... Approachable? Approachable is the word I'm looking for, yeah. More beginner gamers could go to this game, whereas I wouldn't necessarily pull Scythe out for a new player, and uh, I wasn't a huge fan of Viticulture, you know this. Yeah, I I know you're wrong. you, You say I'm wrong, but I'm not a big fan of Viticulture, I find it kind of boring, so I think Wingspan is a good introduction but also like like you said seasoned gamers can really enjoy this one still
4: yeah
16: we, we've played this a number of times yeah. and it is still one of my go-to for a little bit of everybody yeah ah uh, so that is wingspan A big thumbs up from me. Absolutely. Uh, I'm David.
15: And I'm Shay. And
16: we are Bored on the Air. You can find us on CFCR every Thursday night at 6 o'clock, a radio show in Saskatoon, and all of your favorite podcasting sites. Have a great night.
0: Hey there, it's Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And uh, to answer the question, what you've been playing Wednesday? Well, what I've been playing is in the Hall of the Mountain King, designed by Jay Cormier and Graham Jans, published by Burnt Island Games. And uh, Dave from Board on the Air came over and uh, him and Jordan played. We played face to face, face to face. Well, I mean, not that close. It freaked me out just thinking about it. Um, yes, but we played in the Hall of the Mountain King. I was—it uh, was my game, taught to me—and uh, wow, what a fantastic game! I'm gonna—I'm I'm not gonna go too deep on it because I think I might want to do a review on uh, on a regular uh, regular um, podcast uh, review uh, uh, episode. But uh, I'm gonna just give it to you from two angles. Uh, the first angle, I mean, what you see on the board is gorgeous. Uh, the artwork's gorgeous. The, um, it's basically you're looking at a c- collapsed uh, um, a mountain where previously there were trolls that were there and there was a big battle between the gnomes and there was a whole you know kind of fight and uh, let's say one got kicked out and uh, but we enter the game where the trolls are trying to dig their way back into the into this uh, mountain and uh, uh, find items, bring them closer to the center uh, for rev- I guess reverence to the mountain king. And um, you do that you do this movement in the in the mountain or the the, the game board uh, through uh, polyomino tiles and. I was so um, just locked into the way that this is used. It's different. I mean, not that I played a whole ton of games, but I've seen the, the not the repetition, but the um, application of the polyomino tile for filling in stuff. Here's a, here's a container, fill it in with this. But this version was not fill in a container, but go explore Carved tunnels. I thought that was so cool, and not just the idea of carving tunnels, but also designing it in a system that you could put these great halls in. Um, and uh, uh, what these halls represent are abilities for end of game scoring, uh, and, and um, the, also the concept that the closer that you there was zones uh, from uh, outside to inside. And as you progressed interior, these zones, as far as the scoring was concerned, uh, had um, uh, elevations. They had thresholds. And uh, you tried to move certain items. with. Again, like I said, without getting too deep, I'd like to get a deep dive review on this. But uh, you have to make choices um, and... uh, on, on what's your priority. Now, the cool thing I liked about it was as you're moving these tunnels, you can't interact with anybody else, right? So there's no take that necessarily. You can get to certain places faster than the others and have certain statues, which are you know primary scoring, I guess, elements in this game. Um, yeah, and also too, <laughs> this is going to come back into the other part that I want to talk about is is the, is the influence, the, the muse to this game, um, is the, uh, the resources, the stack of, of trolls, because you have this pyramid resource tableau that you're building as you um, recruit or draft certain trolls that have resources associated to them, and the triggering system is very cool. Um, you're building from the bottom layer up a little um, four... Base layer four pyramid system, which is also the timer to your game. How clever is that? Very clever. Um, so you every time that you put a, a card down, you trigger or you activate the pyramid underneath that pinnacle. Um, if certain resources are already there, then they can't, you know, they can't double up. So the idea is to efficiently use the resources before you trigger, before you draft another troll to trigger the cascade of resource replenishment. Now, um, without getting too deep into that, I want to jump into that that muse side because we had the opportunity to talk to Jay, and uh, this game was inspired by the musical piece um, in the Hall of the Mountain King. And if you don't know. The piece, I'm not going to hum it for you, but you can go check it on YouTube. And the moment, I guarantee you, the moment that you get five seconds into it, you go, oh, yeah, okay. Um, The piece itself starts out at a slow pace, but it's methodical. And it slowly starts to increase. Not so much that you notice immediately, but there is this ramping up, this slow acceleration. To the point where, all of a sudden, you catch yourself in the middle of this um, crescendo of oh, frenetic choices. And as far as the music goes, it comes fast and it keeps the same uh, melody, but it, the melody's tightened up and faster and and a more staccato kind of thing. And boy, you pay attention to the to the music as does the game itself in regards to the beginning and the game system and momentum and by the end because of this resource tower the moment you put that last troll on which triggers the cascade wow there's a whole lot of stuff coming on and choices and it it comes at you very fast and quick so i love that parallel of uh, influence from a musical piece to an inspiration on the board so well done Well, kudos. So that was In the Hall of the Mountain King, designed by Jay Cormier and Graham Jans, and published by Burnt Island Games. And we are at the point in this episode where I always thank you so much for taking the time to listen to what we have to say. And of course, as always, thank you so much to the content creators, the fantastic content creators Who collaborate and contribute each week to produce such uh, a proud, proud Connect product, eh? And that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? If you like the content that we produce and the type of show we're creating, please leave a happy rating on iTunes or the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift, and it would help make it easier for others to find us when they search for Board Game Podcast. This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by the people from Cardboard Conjecture who finally got to play a game together. What a wonderful experience. Bye.